0: On today's episode of Dance Med Spotlight, I'm speaking with Kevin Brown. Kevin Brown is an athletic trainer who works in Louisville, Kentucky. He works with a wide variety of different organizations there from studio all the way up to professional level, and not just dancers, but a variety of performing artists as well. He is also the president of the Performing Arts Athletic Trainer Society. In this episode, we talk about some of the trends that he's seeing in his local community, positive changes that we're seeing, starting to incorporate more dance medicine and dance science sports medicine concepts. We also talk about what is athletic training for those who don't know, and what does that look like specifically working with the dance community? We talk about all of these things and more, so make sure to check out the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Dance Med Spotlight where we talk about all things dance medicine and dance science. Today I have Kevin Brown with me. He is an athletic trainer working with a wide variety of different groups that we're going to get into more later but all around Louisville, Kentucky and is also the president of the Performing Arts Athletic Trainers Society. So welcome
1: Kevin. Thank you. Great to be here.
0: Kevin, the very first question I always ask guests here is, what got you to this point of being interested in working with dancers?
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, Did not grow up a dancer. Um, I grew up in theater and then found athletic training, um, worked seven years in Division I athletics before moving on to a high school clinical role. Um, in that position, one of the therapists uh, at the clinic I was working with had been with Louisville Ballet for about 25 years at that point, needed help um, covering performances. So came down and and kind of looked around and said, these are my people. And so since then, just kind of dove headfirst into, into performing arts medicine, dance medicine. Um, I made the joke that, you know, immediately decided to do that. I ran out and got my ballet to English dictionary to figure out (laughs) what was being talked about. But, you know, now I feel like I'm much more confident in in dance terminology and and just learned as quick as I could. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And I,
0: I always love that. You know, I think a lot of folks that end up being on this with me, it's either they were dancers or it's something that they just kind of stumbled upon but fell in love very quickly, which is an awesome thing. So tell me a little bit about um, what different groups or organizations you spend most of your
1: time working with. So I spend a lot of my time with Louisville Ballet, which is a professional company here in Louisville, uh, about 60 professional dancers. Um, also spend time with Louisville Ballet School and then the Vision Dance Center, which is a competition studio here in Louisville, also work with Actors Theatre of Louisville and various performing arts groups. Uh, sometimes Broadway series when they're when they're coming through and not traveling. Some wide wide variety of performing arts, um, which I think keeps life inter- interesting for me. Definitely.
0: I love that you have that opportunity to work across a lot of different levels too. And I know your experience as an athletic trainer, you've gone from, you know, kind of the adolescent age range all the way up to professional and even Olympic level athletes that you've worked with. So that's that's awesome. Tell me a little bit, actually, before we get too far into all of this, if there are people who maybe are not familiar with what athletic trainers do... Tell us a little bit about what that may typically look like, and then what that looks like working in the dance community.
1: Sure. Um, athletic trainers, I, I tend to like to describe as some combination of physical therapy and emergency medicine. You know, we, we do a lot of the acute care, emergency care on the field, in the studio, on the stage, as well as preventative care rehabilitative care you know kind of across the board um, we have a lot of, a lot more I feel like in-depth education on nutrition you know some more of the strength conditioning aspects you know I think you know we we work well with a lot of other professions we work well with a lot of other groups physical therapists nutritionists sports psychology you know we we have a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I think the key, especially as an athletic trainer, is is to know your little bit of everything, but be able to have that resource to say, hmm, I'm starting to get a little out of my league, let me let me refer you to the sports psychologist, or let me refer you to physician, let me refer you to physical therapy. Because I think a lot of times, you know, being on the front lines, we have a lot of performers that we're taking care of. I have 65 people at one time on my, on my caseload, quote unquote. So I may be able to give them 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, a lot of, you know, evaluation and, and here's some self-directed exercise, home exercise, a little bit of manual therapy. If I've got a performer that needs an hour one-on-one with somebody, I'm typically sending them on to one of the physical therapists that I'm partnered with because they have a lot more time, you know, and and are able to book that time appropriately.
0: Mm -hmm. I think Athletic trainers, you know, it's a profession that I didn't really know anything about, you know, growing up. And then once I became a PT, I started hearing about ATs. And as I've gone in my career and learned a lot more about what all you do, it's like, why aren't we playing along with one another a heck of a lot more with all kinds of things that we encounter throughout, you know, throughout what we're doing in the clinic, out on site somewhere. I mean... It's a wonderful relationship to have for sure.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, I, I think too frequently we all get our, get in our own silos and we all want to solve the problem on our own and be the champion and be the savior for this performer or this athlete that we're the ones that got you better when great. We may get you 40%. The physical therapy may get you 20%. Sports psychology may get you 20% and you're back to hundred percent, but everybody puts it together, you yeah. know, rather than, or, or whoever, you know, being, being in your silo, you're shutting off everybody else that may be able to provide input or may provide that extra little push to make it happen.
0: Yeah. And thinking from the dancer's perspective too, I think it's another, really important point for them to consider from their lens of it's not always just going to be one person who's going to help them get to their recovery, to their performance goals, whatever it is, but really finding those different team members who can help supplement one another and complement one another um, so that they can get wherever they want to in their dance.
1: hundred percent. No, I I definitely agree. Um, And I think that's, that is, I feel like the benefit to organizations such as IADAM, such as PAMA, you know, where we get all of these people in a room and and bounce ideas off each other, and we learn from each other.
0: Yes. You pick that's things lovely.
1: up, you know, you, you pick things up and take them back to your practice. And that's, you know, the most important part is collaboration.
0: hmm Going to those conferences, too, it lets you... It lets you see what everyone else is up to. It lets you learn more maybe in areas that aren't quite in your wheelhouse, but at least give you some information where it's like, oh, maybe these are questions I should be asking or things I should be watching out for so that I know when to appropriately refer my dancer to somebody else and who that might be more specifically.
1: 100%, Um, I think. You know, sometimes it's worse to not know what you don't know to see, you know, what giant piece of the puzzle have you been missing, whether it's one athlete or whether it's every athlete that walks in the door, Mm -hmm. you may pick up that one one little, you know, pearl of wisdom that suddenly changes your whole perspective on everything.
0: Oh yeah, most definitely. I always learn a a little something from every presentation or webinar or whatever the heck it is that I go to um, in hopes that it helps. Even just one dancer is Mm -hmm. important. Let's talk a little bit about, so we've, We've described what an athletic trainer is for folks who aren't as familiar. So now, what about an athletic trainer who wants to get into the space of working with performers or dancers? What sorts of advice might you have for them?
1: Um, I think a few different things. One, don't forget, don't don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Um, I think you know, starting small. There's not a lot of full time. Performing arts athletic trainers out there, there's not a lot of time, a lot of full time performing arts PTs out there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I think, a lot of athletic trainers, physical therapists, everybody that would love to say, 100% of my caseload is performing arts or 100% of my caseload is athletes. It's probably not happening for very many people, if at all, unless you're working directly for a company. You know, if yeah. you're working for Sole Soleil, if you're working for someplace like that, sure. But if you're in an outpatient practice, you're not seeing that, and so even if you can, you know, keep your keep your skills up, keep your keep your uh, interest there, whether it's going out to a, a dance studio once a week, once a month, just to do injury prevention talks or check in, you know, that's going to drive first of all drive people to your clinic, and it's going to also keep your head or keep your name in their head.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when they do have an injury. Oh you know I saw I saw that Alyssa she came in a couple of weeks ago and she seemed to know what she was doing. Let's go find her. And one thing that dance parents love to do is talk to each other. Oh, so yeah. you only need to get one and you've got them all.
0: Most definitely. They are your in if they can if you can get them to vouch for you, you're set.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. You know and then I think the second thing is be ready to make the jump. You know, there's there are a lot of companies that are looking to hire full time. Most of them are on tour. And unfortunately, not everybody can tour right now. You know, but if if you're, especially those who are young, fresh out of school, don't have a lot of things, you know, tying them down, who's to say you can't jump on a tour right now?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: See what happens. Exactly. You know, most of the tour contracts are nine nine to 12 months. You can do anything for a year and then see if you like it. Mm-hmm.
0: I know when I was progressing through my career in PT, I, I was working at, you know, just typical clinics and I would let the front desk know and the owner know that I really had this passion for working with performers. And so when they had somebody where they already knew ahead of time, oh, they said they're, you know, a figure skater or whatever, they would try putting them on my schedule. And so I, you know, I just got that reputation within the company. Slowly started building that up, um, and then, you know, get those reps in of working with the different kinds of performers and and being able to use the resources at the clinic around me and all of that sort of thing, and then eventually open my own clinic and now really focus on bringing performers and dancers more specifically in. Um, but it was it was nice having that additional opportunity to try to kind of funnel people towards me a little bit when I was in these larger clinics.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I think that's the key. Having having employer support, having clinic support, because again, unfortunately, dancers usually aren't injured once. They're injured multiple times. And so if you can get them in the door the first time, you can get them back in the door the next time they have an injury.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's all about creating like those lifetime relationships with a dancer and and getting to know them, what they specifically do in their craft and with their artistry and all of that sort of things. And then, you know, if they do, you know, they move around a lot. There's lots of different things that can happen depending on where they are in stages of their career. Being able to then refer them to good people when they've gone someplace else and helping make Absolutely. that connection for them too
1: yes i i agree and i think that's you know another benefit of iadams of pama of all of those organizations is you meet people from across the country so i can suddenly say oh you're in colorado let me connect you with alyssa mm-hmm. or you're going wherever you know I, I feel like we know each other we know each other everywhere around the country. Yes. There's always somebody. And if there's not, there's somebody that knows somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's been great getting to be involved in the dance medicine community more and getting more connections and all of that because it only strengthens what I'm able to provide, both from a knowledge standpoint, a network standpoint. You know, there's so many different elements to it. Um, and so, you know, if you're any sort of health and wellness professional wanting to work in this space, get involved in some of these different groups or, you know, the special interest groups that we'll talk about here more in a minute. Um, but yeah, find those people and start making those connections because it is invaluable. Absolutely. So tell us a bit about the Performing Arts Athletic Trainers Society.
1: Yes, so the Performing Arts Athletic Trainers Society, uh, was started in 2017. Um, a group of performing arts athletic trainers, you know, just kind of looked around and, you know, I, the National Athletic Trainers Association is great. And, you know, we would, we would get every now and then, you know, something performing arts on the main platform, but for the most part, you know, as, as performing arts athletic trainers, we're a small group. You know, compared to athletic trainers at the high school level, athletic trainers at the collegiate level, professional sports level, we're we're a very small percentage. So, you know, we we decided we wanted to form a society or form a group to help provide continuing education for, you know, performing arts athletic trainers, you know, focused on performing arts, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as more social opportunities, opportunities to get to know each other folks around the country, you know. I think our our third big goal has been to help get, r- help recruit athletic trainers into the into the profession as well as those who are interested in performing arts specifically, um, helping with clinical immersions, things like that, mm-hmm. um, partnering them up, and and we are slowly reaching into hopefully starting to help provide some research as well, research opportunities, and and connecting folks looking to do research with with folks who are willing to participate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's so important to have those, those groups that you can network with. And especially when it comes to research too. if you're not at some sort of facility or, you know, like a medical campus or something like that, where you already have maybe a little bit more access to being able to do research, being able to get groups of people together because trying to do it on your own is virtually impossible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it it feels like it that mm-hmm. is for sure mm-hmm. but i think that you know the, the benefit is there are people out there who love to do research and love to help others do research you know i know yeah. you had dr on earlier uh this year and, and he's great at you know what do you think about this yeah you know let's get this together you know he, he's yes. got his his lab going and and all the things so
0: Yeah. He's one of the most enthusiastic and, and most willing to help researchers that I've met at this point. Um, And honestly, like, you know, getting to see him present over the last few years as I've been part of iAdams and getting to know him a little bit better, he's one of the reasons where it's like, you know, I've had these ideas of research stuff that I'm interested in, but just the enthusiasm he has about all of it, it's like, no, this can be really cool and exciting. So it's grown my enthusiasm too. Definitely. Let's go back to talking about some of the different groups that you work with, Um, thinking of the professional level ballet dancers, the dancers in training, all of that sort of thing. Um, What are maybe one or two major trends that you see maybe at a couple of different levels of dance training in your practice?
1: You know, I think the important trend that I am seeing is an increased in knowledge and increase in willing to learn. You know, I think the dancers out there are hungry now. They're hungry to mm-hmm. learn at anatomy. They're hungry to learn how to take care of themselves. They see some of these professional dancers dancing well into their, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. You know, I think we have we have the benefit being in Louisville of of having Wendy Whalen from Louisville who you know, we'll, we'll come by or, or, or teach summer intensive, you know, or things like that. And they see you're still dancing in your early 50s. Like, how did you do this? And and so I think just hearing from everyone, how to keep going, how, how to be the best dancer they can be, you know, where I think in the past, you know, I think it, it was just word of mouth. You know, mm-hmm. now they're seeking out the experts, <laughs> seeking mm-hmm. out the people that actually know. Unfortunately, I think sometimes they're also seeking out Instagram and things like that, where they may not be getting the best (laughs) advice. However, you know, there are good Instagram accounts out there. So I think it's directing them to the correct ones rather than just whoever's sitting there, you know, doing an over splits with their legs between two chairs, thinking they're getting better.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, I always encourage my dancers of, you know, yeah, if you see something on Instagram, tell me what it is. I'd love to see what it is that you're looking at. And then having a conversation of, you know, well, these are maybe some elements that aren't so great. Or here's something that I really love about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned from all of that, too. Can never get Absolutely. enough access Pick to Pick up content. new
1: exercises or new ideas all the time.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. What other trends are you noticing with your dancers?
1: You know, I think... The other big trend is, I think there's less, at least I feel like, less focus on necessarily, I have to become a professional dancer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think there is there is a, I can enjoy what I'm doing now, and then when I graduate, maybe I'll still dance for fun every now and then, but I'm going to go, you know, and, and do whatever in college, or I'm going to go and do whatever else I want to do in my life. You know, I think... Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, for a while there, I felt like there was a, why am I even in this school if if I'm not going to make it as a professional dancer? Like there, there was not, it didn't feel like there was dance for enjoyment. It was dance because I have to dance, and then I'm going to be a professional dancer, and then I don't know what I'm going to do with my life after that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's also helping with the other end of career transition from the professional. You know, what did I want to be when I was in high school? I wasn't just focused on, I'm going to be a professional dancer. That's great. We have a, a dancer in the company now. She just came back this year. She was, she was a trainee for a year, then went to Stanford, just graduated from Stanford and some type of engineering, you know, inter- interned last summer at SpaceX and, you know, now she's back as a professional dancer, That's awesome. but hanging on to when I retire, I've got this engineering background. Like Mm -hmm. So I think there's more of the long-term planning and more of the career transition planning starting earlier. It's not just dance, 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 dance. I have to focus on dance all the time in my life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like I used to see a lot more uh, sort of like studio hopping for dancers, Mm -hmm. not because they moved or, you know, something like that. But it's like, "Mm, I don't think they're going to get me to this point of being a commercial dancer or a professional dancer. I need to go over to this one. Okay. Well, they're still not getting me to that point. And, you know, some of that still is an important element, making sure that you have the right fit of the studio for a dancer, but it's not as much of that just chasing that one thing anymore. Mm
1: -hmm. I think the other thing with that is, educating the parents and educating the students, you know, especially, you know, I feel like our school principal and I have that conversation, you know, every couple of years of, okay, we've got, you know, these typically we do, we do a screening in January for students that we anticipate are going on point in the fall. Mm -hmm. So they have eight, nine months to kind of correct whatever, you know, and then we do another screening in August of all the students that are already on point as well as that group. And so having that conversation in January of I'm not sure this kid's gonna get there, along with, okay, but if we you know, if if they don't go on point here, are they gonna go to another studio and just get put on point unsafely Mm -hmm. versus if we can keep them here, we can keep them under our thumb a little bit and really guide them through what they're still struggling with. You know, and I think that again goes back to the I have to go on point. I am 12 years old. I have to go on point. That's what the, that's what the rules say rather than is this really what A, is this really what you want to do? And B, are you ready? And -hmm. everybody in their own time being ready.
0: Mm -hmm. Thinking of that, it also reminds me of some of the dancers that I'm seeing, the adolescent dancers who are around that point age. um, Mm -hmm. And I'm finding more of them, if they come in and they do some sort of you know, point readiness assessment with me or something like that, they seem to be more open with the idea of maybe I need more time or you know, even some of my dancers who've been dancing for a while and have been on point for a little while, if we're seeing something where we're wondering if point really is the right thing for them and what their body is doing and all of that, um, sometimes being really you know appropriately critical of hmm maybe this isn't the right thing for me maybe i should consider i'm just not going to do point but i'm going to continue dancing and so that's been an interesting little transition to notice over time too
1: absolutely and i think you know i think it's it's just like i feel like every other youth sport at this age you know does the dancer really want to go on point or does mom really want her to go on point? And I think it's that question as well, mm-hmm. you know, is it is it, well, all of my friends are going on point, so I must need to go on point or my mom really wants me to go on point. So I have to go on point or I want, I'm ready. I feel like I'm ready and I want to go on point. And so let's do this assessment and see if I'm ready.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So sometimes yes. it's fleshing, fleshing that out a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are their motivators for all of the things? And same with competitions too. I work a lot with competitive dancers and that sometimes has been a conversation that comes up of, do you really need to do all 13 competitions that your studio is doing this year? Mm -hmm. Um, Is that really what you want to be doing? Let's talk about what options you have and, you know, even facilitating some conversations or or that kind of thing too. With dance teachers, dance educators, studio owners, anyone sort of in that group, what is maybe a positive change that you've been seeing working with them? And then what's an area that you think maybe needs some additional growth?
1: I think the positive, at least for the Louisville area, I feel like is a lot of the studio owners are starting to be willing to accept people into the studio you know i think a lot of you know for a while and i feel like this is a trend across the country they don't want a pt to come in they don't want an athletic trainer they don't want anybody to come in because that might change what i they people think about my teaching or Mm -hmm. you know they're going to find all the faults with everything that i'm doing yeah when in reality it's it's about you know kind of helping them get their students better you know finding those weaknesses how can we target how can we get it better let's talk about nutrition let's talk about all the things you know so i think that's a positive change that i've seen at least you know is that a lot of the teachers are much more willing to have us in Uh, i think the flip side is there are still some teachers that aren't interested Um, and i think you know bringing bringing the dancers around some of the times you know i think you know, and, and and I know we all, we all get the, okay, they gave me a home exercise program, but I don't have time to do it. And, you know, so I just don't. Mm-hmm. And then they come back and then same thing. And then they kind of get that, you know, red face, shy look when you ask them how the program's going, you know, mm-hmm. and so you get to reinforce it. But, you know, I think in general, they're also slowly understanding, you know, I, I I always laugh, and I'm sure, you know, every therapist and athletic trainer and everybody gets the same thing, but I get, well, I did those exercises you gave me, and now I'm better. <laughs> you know, and I always like to say, right. I'm glad you sound so surprised.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah, I that was sort of the point. It actually worked.
1: Yeah. You actually know what you're talking about. Shock. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, one of the positives, too, of more of the studios being open to having people come in, open to some of the different education around dance science and sports science and all of these things that we can infuse into what we're doing with dancers. As that starts to become more mainstream, it also has the potential to become more of an expectation of what is involved at a studio. So then when parents are looking for studios for their kids, they're you know they're doing their homework and they go well this one really seems to have an emphasis on wellness for the dancer this other one i don't really see evidence of that and it might help push the tide a little bit more towards including all of that
1: absolutely and that's that's a conversation point that you know we hear frequently especially on the athletic training side but i'm sure in physical therapy as well is a lot of these college dance programs they're starting to promote. Hey, we've got a full-time athletic trainer or a full-time physical therapist with our school of dance. Mm-hmm. You know, you're constantly taken care of. You know, that's a okay. that's a selling point for them, which is huge with student retention. Once you get them in, you're not going to lose them as quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm, they have an athletic trainer, they have a physical therapist, they have somebody that when they have that you know ankle sprain. In the middle of class they're not out for three weeks and having to drop the class you know they may be out for a day or modified for a few days but they're doing all the things because somebody's right there to help them you know and so it's Mm -hmm. nice to see that also trickling down to the to the studio level of hey they care about my kid you know i think especially at the studio level i'm not just a check to them you Mm -hmm. know i'm they care about my kid exactly
0: It's been interesting as I've had a chance to talk with more people in the dance medicine community and seeing how they're engaging with their local communities. It's nice to hear how many people are able to have those kinds of relationships at the studio level, whether it's. You know, maybe they're set up for a few hours once a month at the studio, or maybe they have weekly things that they're doing there. Um, Maybe they have some on-site coverage during shows or something during available competition season. You know, a lot of different things like that that I know for me growing up as a dancer, I didn't even know there were any specialists, much less they weren't anywhere at any, you know, on-site anywhere or anything like that that I was ever aware of.
1: Yes, that's definitely, you know, that's definitely a benefit, you know, it's a change that's happening again, you know, and I think, you know, Doctors for Dancers is doing great, you know, trying to help competitions out with someone to cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to see that continue to expand.
0: Mm -hmm. And having been on site at some of those competitions, man. (laughs) they need us oh boy (laughs) that's for sure and like one of the things that i do is i so besides kind of traditional studio-based dance i also do swing dancing and so for years since i've had my practice i set up on site at competitions here in town when i'm at them and always just you know i have my table open and i have open hours and that kind of thing and so whether it's they need a little recovery because they've been pushing themselves a lot or they think they've hurt themselves and they wanna get checked out. Um, you know, Wherever they are and all of that, I can be there to provide, even if it's 15 minutes of something, just making sure that they're feeling their best and performing their best. And it's definitely become something where it's sort of expected that I'm going to be there. I remember I had a miss one a couple of years ago and I got all of these messages from people going, Aren't you going to be here? No, I'm sorry.
1: I, I need you. you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I need to I need to find some other friends to to come and help cover some of the events. Um, but you know, even thinking of the other genres of dance too making sure that all the people who want some of the benefits of what we're able to provide, um, having it available somehow for them is so important.
1: Absolutely, it's always nice to be needed.
0: Right, (laughs) (laughs) yes. Um, Let's see. What, let's go back to this idea of point readiness. I know looking at research there's still there's a lot that we have learned as far as what can be a good correlate for a readiness for a dancer. There are also definitely gaps. What are some things that you maybe prioritize as being important things when you're looking at dancers for that purpose?
1: You know, I think, you know, the, the point readiness test, the the, you know, pencil test, topple test, airplanes, all of those are great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I personally feel like a good cardiovascular base has, has been huge, you know, for, for our dancers to be successful. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, as they're, as they're coming into, you know, professional company going, going, you know, trans maybe not necessarily transitioning from into point, but transitioning from a pre-professional to professional, you know, that cardiovascular base, because they could. You get into, you know, all sorts of core work and these big ballets and it's it's five, six, seven minutes of sprinting,
0: you know. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I, I feel like, you know, having a good cardiovascular base is, is definitely beneficial. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that's something that we know from research, too, is an area that dancers tend to be a little more lacking on, maybe compared to some other things that we consider. Um, and even though like dancers work super hard and you can be dancing and you're you're gassed at the end of it, but if you can improve that cardiovascular fitness, it makes it all so much easier. And then you don't feel like you're dying at the end of Swan Lake or something like that.
1: <laughs> yes. And I think, I think the other thing uh, is definitely single leg balance. Eyes closed single leg balance. You know, we presented that research at IADAMS this year Mm -hmm. Our our younger dancers were seven times more likely to have a time loss or a significant modification injury on the right and 10 times on the left if they couldn't single leg balance for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And so I think just knocking that out, that's an easy, I say it's an easy one, you know, but getting that, you know, getting that balance, eyes closed, balance. I think dancers on the whole, you spot so often, you know, you're you're used to using your eyes. You take those, you take that vision away, and all of a sudden, they can't balance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which leads yeah, to injury.
0: yeah. Whether it's costumeing that maybe is blocking vision, running around backstage in the dark, like there's so many times where that becomes really important, but is I feel like rarely trained. You know, just in in the studio. Um, I do have one studio that I work with where one of the things they regularly incorporate in ballet at the bar is closing their eyes. And when I've heard that from their dancers, I always just get so excited of, yay, someone's incorporating that somewhere.
1: <laughs> someone's listening. <laughs> hmm.
0: Exactly. At this point, I think it is a wonderful opportunity for a special segment on the show. So we have the final bow. This is basically the take-home message for the audience. We've talked about a lot of different things for multiple different audiences. So what is the
1: one take-home message that you hope someone walks away with? I think the biggest take-home message for me is athletic trainers are great healthcare professionals that integrate well across the healthcare spectrum um, from immediate care, emergency care, through rehabilitation, um, so work, find yourself an athletic trainer and and work together with them uh, for the better of your patient population.
0: Yes, I love that and totally second that sentiment. And then the last thing that I have for you is the shameless plug. So if there is anything that you want to promote, whether it's for yourself, an organization that you work with, anything that you want to share with the audience, now is your opportunity.
1: Yeah, I think that our, our, you know, every year we do our performing arts athletic trainer society, you know, virtual symposium, um, which is coming up uh, on February 24th, It's a Saturday. And this year, our topics are uh, caring for the circus artists, and nutritional, nutritional and wellness considerations, uh, and then supplemental training for performing artists are kind of our three big topics. Um, I think we have talk coming up on pelvic floor, all of integration. Um, so it's going to be a great symposium. We'd love to have everybody there. Um, we are a, a provider for the board of certification athletic trainers, but I feel like almost every discipline has, you know, a, a category where you can submit things that, you know, aren't officially approved, but fall into your, you know, your scope of practice. So we'd love to see more than just athletic trainers there. Um, you can register on the Performing Arts Athletic Trainer website, PAATSOC.org. org. Uh, we'd love to see everybody. Um, looks like it's going to be another great symposium. Our education committee did a great job of uh, getting all sorts of great speakers.
0: Amazing. Yeah, I'll make sure to share that information out too so that they can find it that much easier and go register for the event because it sounds awesome. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really enjoyed our talk and can't wait to go check out more about the event coming up next year and see if I can get it on my schedule.
1: Absolutely. Hope to see you there.
0: All right, let me Dance Med Spotlight is hosted and produced by Alyssa Arms. We discuss all things dance medicine. This has been another episode from DanceMed Spotlight. The DanceMed Spotlight is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present.